Feeling dissatisfied with the way you look is a pretty familiar experience for most of us. After all, we live in a society that tells us that how we look is important at almost every turn, and yet most of us are not symmetrical supermodels. But for some people, this self-criticism can become an obsession that bleeds into all areas of their life. It can be expensive if people seek surgery to correct these perceived imperfections. It can affect quality of life and relationships and it can be associated with eating disorders that harm people's physical health. It's a condition with a name, body dysmorphic disorder, or BDD. For Stacey, the obsession with her perceived flaws started after a difficult time in her preteen years and flared up after traumatic experiences in her teens and young adulthood. But it still took 16 years from when she first had symptoms to when she got a diagnosis. The things that started to develop, the behaviours, the way that I would look in the mirror for what seemed like an eternity, scanning my face, looking for perceived imperfections. Until I got diagnosed, I didn't know what this was and I just thought it was normal. Until you start talking to other people and you realise that maybe this isn't normal. I don't know, I feel like I look at other women and yes, they cared about it, but just not giving it as much time and they seemed more carefree. And I never felt carefree. Now, looking back, I can see that it affected everything. Like it affects every single area of your life. So your personal relationships, work, just everything. It kind of like permeates all areas of your life in a way that what I keep saying is that I feel like I'm never able to do things the way that I would like to do them. So in some ways, it can completely hold me back. I'll completely avoid doing certain things. Say, go to the beach. So I've lived in Australia for nine years and I think I could count on my one hand how many times I've been to the beach. Because for me, going to the beach wearing a bikini is very distressing. And then with personal relationships, like dating isn't very easy because when you're worried about how you look and how your body looks, it just basically gets in the way of a lot of things, of getting closer to someone and Another part of body dysmorphic disorder is comparison. So for me with females, when I'm around other women, what I think are especially attractive, I will compare myself. So I'll compare my body shape to that person or a facial feature or my hair. Like someone that's taller than me, I'm never going to be taller, but I will unfairly compare myself to that person, if Mm. that makes sense. Mm. But even when I was diagnosed, what typically happens is it's difficult to really feel comfortable with the diagnosis because you've thought that you're basically ugly up till that point. There's something wrong with you that when somebody says it's not that, it's because you have this condition. It just takes time to actually believe that. 11 years later in therapy here in Melbourne and yeah, in the past year, it started to become something that I'm believing the diagnosis but it's taken a long time. The main thing that I think has helped me is I had group therapy at the start of the year so I met eight other people who were all diagnosed with BDD and we actually had six weeks of group therapy together and that was massive because before that I had actually never met anyone that had body dysmorphic disorder. So being able to meet other people and see that they weren't hideously ugly made me realise that This is obviously a psychological disorder. It is still something that I talk to people about openly now in the past year since I've been in therapy, but not many people 
truly understand what it is. They've heard about it, but they don't know really what it is. As far as mental disorders go, body dysmorphic disorder is relatively common. At least 2% of the population worldwide has it, but experts say it's under-recognised. Susan Russell, a cognitive neuropsychologist at Swinburne University, is trying to change that. After 20 years of studying body image and eating disorders, she's spearheaded a survey that aims to put better numbers around BDD in Australia, and she joins me now. Hi, Susan. Hello. So we're hearing Stacey speaking there about things like not feeling comfortable in a bikini on a beach, which honestly sounds extremely familiar. What takes body dysmorphic disorder out of that sort of maybe feeling self-conscious into something that's really disrupting someone's life? For people with BDD, the the thought process and that little voice in your head just never goes away. Um, and then when they look in the mirror, they have these um, uh, uh, beliefs and also perceptions. Uh, and that's something that's quite different from people in the healthy population. Uh, we often refer to BDD as an imagined ugliness. So they, when they look in the mirror, they see these defects or deformities or ugliness, um, which just aren't there. And as Stacey referred to really articulately, you know, she was able to meet with eight other people this year in group therapy and see that their deficits weren't there or see that these imagined problems weren't there. That's what takes it to this different level for people with BDD. And as I referred to, the constant thought about it, it doesn't matter what they're doing. It doesn't matter, you know, where they are in their lives. There's this constant little voice in their head telling them that they're ugly and talking to them about their, their, their imagined ugliness. What causes it? We are pretty certain that the people have some visual problems. They don't see the world the, the way that you and I see the world. When we look at the world, if you don't have BDD, we know that the world is made up of all of these different features in the world and we put them together in a big picture in our head. Unfortunately, what seems to be happening for people with BDD is they get very distracted by the small features, the little parts of their environment, and they find it more difficult to put things together in a holistic picture. Um, and that is especially true for the way that they look at their body, but that we've, we've also got some data showing that they, they do that in the everyday world when they're looking at scenes and things. So we think it's a visual problem, but there's also uh, attached to that is some issues with um, emotions and emotion regulation and, um, uh, and we have shown um, also trauma and bullying um, can be particularly influential in terms of those problems with emotion regulation. So what are the numbers around it? Because I said 2% at, uh, when I mentioned it before, but your, the research that you're doing is indicating that it could be a lot bigger than that. A lot, lot bigger. Yeah, so when, when I first started doing this, you know, when we're talking about 2%, 2% is actually larger than any other mental health condition. So when we're talking about schizophrenia or anxiety or um, OCD, we talk about a 1% prevalence for these particular disorders. So the fact that we're already at 2% is double what most serious mental health disorders are. But then in the last few years, we're actually showing it's considerably higher. Um, there was a recent 
recent um, study done in teenagers, which was suggesting it was up to 12%. And some of the work that we've been um, doing in our initial um, uh, data collection for our survey is again confirming 12% in adults, which just seems so astronomically high. But also not unexpected. Um, we know that people with BDD are very ashamed of talking about their symptoms and often live um, with the disorder for very, very many years um, secretly. Um, we have done quite a lot of work showing that people can live with their symptoms for up to 20 years before they talk to any mental health professional about them. So this secrecy and also the lack of public understanding about BDD doesn't lead, leads us to perhaps expect that the data might show that these prevalences are higher than we were initially thinking. What's the cost to someone of living with this untreated for such a long time? Absolutely astronomical. Um, as we heard from Stacey, being, uh, ha engaging in relationships, engaging with other family members, even people that, you know, that love you and support you, um, uh, going out to work, um, engaging in education, socialising is a really big one. Most people with BDD have some form of social anxiety and would hate to be around other people because they think that people are looking at them. So a train journey is particularly particularly horrific for some people with BDD. They just can't think, put their head through going on, you know, public transport or being in crowded places or, as we referred to earlier, going to the beach. So the quality of life is really quite poor for people with BDD. And look, I've, I've worked in mental health for over 20 years now on lots of different diagnostic conditions. And really, people with BDD strike me as some of the most um, uh, poor quality of life that I've seen. What are the interventions we're looking at then, um, just briefly, at the individual level, but perhaps also at a societal level? Yeah, so one of the things that we've been working on, um, and there's international evidence to show that it works, is as Stacey referred to, therapy, which is a, a, a usually a cognitive behaviour therapy, um, where we um, address people's obsessions, address people's ruminations, get people more comfortable looking at themselves with them in, in the mirror. Um, and we really need to start to talk about our bodies more and understand that it's okay if you, if, well, it's, it's obviously okay to talk about it and it's okay to go and see your GP about poor body image and body image distress. Indeed. Susan, thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Thanks, Tegan. Professor Susan Russell is a cognitive neuropsychologist and professorial research fellow at Swinburne Centre for Mental Health. If you want, you can take the survey at www.nationalbodyimagesurvey.com and you're with The Health Report. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.